Amen. So set the stage a little bit here. <clears throat> just going to move this a little bit closer. I usually have it lower, but this might save my voice a little bit. <clears throat> In Acts chapter 4, verse 27, so if you just back up a verse, it says, But after two years, Portius Festus succeeded Felix, and Felix, wanting to do the Jews a favor, left Paul bound. Now, if we think of where we've come to get to that point, Paul knew that the calling of the Lord was for him to go to Jerusalem. And uh, he had been told through the prophet Agabus that he was going to be bound. And Agabus used a physical demonstration, grabbed his belt, and, and t bound his hands and feet and said, you know, the man to whom this belongs will be bound like this. And, and uh, so Paul knew that he... He was going to be bound for the gospel. Now, Paul, uh, if you look at his writings, very much understood that he was not a prisoner of Rome. He considered himself a prisoner of Jesus Christ, a willing prisoner of Jesus Christ. He was very happy to identify himself as a bond servant to Jesus Christ, to be bound to Christ, because being bound to Christ was his freedom. So uh, it's, it's quite a dichotomy there, just kind of looking... <clears throat> At that, how that how that works, right? And um, when you when you consider what Paul uh, the 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 peace he had in knowing that he was going to go to Jerusalem, and, and everybody around him when he heard that, were they were breaking down and they're crying, and Paul saying, you know, what are you doing? You're going to break my heart. You know, I'm not only willing to go and to be bound, but I'm willing to give my life for Jesus Christ. For, for his name and and understand that as we've studied through the book of Acts together, we've seen the transformation of Paul. Now, this this man started as a persecutor of the church, standing by uh, while everybody else stoned uh, Stephen to death after he gave an amazing sermon in Acts chapter seven. And we know that Paul was enraged against the name of Christ and against the church. And he was persecuting the church. And we're going to see here he even confesses that uh, when he gets a chance to speak. He's persecuting. He's dragging people out of church. He's dragging them out of their homes if they're Christians. He's arresting them. Some of them are put to death. He's causing some of them to be put in chains and blaspheme the name of Christ. He was so uh, against the Lord until he met the Lord on the road to Damascus in Acts chapter 9. And uh, changed his life. And, and uh, he understood after that point, uh, and we're going to discuss that here in a moment. This, I promise I'm a little long-winded on the intro. I know that. But it's kind of setting the stage for where we're at. And, and, and Paul's life has changed so much. He's been beaten. He's been stoned. Uh, he's just been dragged. And he was just about to be scourged uh, by the Romans to try to get a confession because they didn't understand why the Jews hated him so much and wanted to kill him. And so the, 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 um, the, once they found out, uh, the Romans found out that he was a Roman citizen, they realized, wait a minute, we've got to slow our roll down, and we need to look at what we need to do properly, because he has, <clears throat> he has rights as a Roman citizen that we cannot violate. So um, we see Paul here. And in verse 27, it says, but after two years, Portius Festus succeeded Felix. Now, the Jews tried to get Felix to give Paul to them. Uh, he was just a little afraid to do so, you know, and he was he was very um, hesitant. He was a uh, procrastinator and he procrastinated for two years. 
And uh, and what ends up happening is he gets uh, relieved of that position by pa- uh, Portius Festus here. And we see in verse 27 that <clears throat> Felix wanting uh, to do the Jews a favor, le- favor left Paul bound. So where we're at in history, this is 80 between 55 and 60. Now, <clears throat> uh, Portius Festus, as he's coming into um, our study and into the picture here. He's only alive for two to three four, uh, years after this, and then he he dies. But he was known as a uh, as a man that was a fair ruler, and uh, we'll see that demonstrated here as we go through in our study. But he's also known biblically as the the one the ruler that would uh, send Paul to Caesar Nero. Uh, who was a very wicked ruler and hated Christians and, and tortured Christians. And, and uh, he, uh, he found very uh, awful ways to kill and mock Christianity, hated Christians. But Paul, um, uh, it, that's uh, Caesar Nero is, who is actually going to go to. We'll see Augustus here uh, mentioned also. But, um, but yeah, he, uh, it's, it's quite a thing that's happening here as we're picking up here in verse 1. It says, now when Festus had come to the province, after three days, he went up from Caesarea to Jerusalem. And then the high priest and the chief men of the Jews informed him against Paul. And they petitioned him, asking a favor against him, that he would summon him to Jerusalem while they lay in ambush along the road to kill him. So quite a bit here in these first three verses. And Festus, we see as soon as he's introduced, is uh, right ready to get into work, being fo- very proactive about his duties and immediately making the rounds. Wanted to get around to uh, his areas of responsibility. And, and <clears throat> what we see here is as soon as he gets to Jerusalem, here come the religious leaders and they immediately go to work. And they got the new guy here, so they want to they want to be able to get his ear uh, as quick <clears throat> as quick as they can, and uh, they uh, they they in their going to work, we see that they they have a a, a plan here, and and they um, they start as it says here, they start in, informing him against Paul, and they're asking favors against him. Now, I don't know about you guys, uh, you ever ever been a little cautious? Maybe it's your first day at work. Uh, maybe it's your first day around and you've got, you got, you know, somebody around you that's really seems overly nice, um, over like, like not that they're just not greeting you or, but, but you, you sense that there's a little bit there that they're hoping to be able to get some hooks in you. Um, I, I, I believe that Festus uh, caught on to that, uh, very fast where he was a fair ruler and we're going to see that they're trying to get in on him. And he, he has to slow the roll a little bit and say, hey, guys, we'll listen to Paul still. I'm not just going to bring him up to you. Uh, and uh, we'll see that here in, in verse 4 when we get there. <clears throat> but but there's, there's something there that's happening with them. And there's a reminder to us to be very cautious when people seem to be very proactive about their agenda. What can they gain from you? What can they, you know, when somebody comes, we talked about flattery. You know, flattery, <coughs> excuse me. When you, when you consider, and this is the end of the cold, guys. I'm not here like I just got sick today. Like this is the end of it. And I just, um, so I promise I'm not, uh, if I thought I was going to be contagious and everything, I, and I wouldn't be here, okay? But this is just my body still doing whatever it's doing. But <clears throat> um, flattery, right? You know, when you consider the dangers of flattery, what, it, what is flattery, right? 
you're trying you're trying to butter somebody up so that they're, they're, they're you're going to gain their trust and so that you can get what you want. Okay, and so we need to be cautious of those things, even as Christians, uh, as we see, you know, Festus seems like he's a, a uh, uh, he's an experienced ruler here, and <clears throat> they may see you uh, as they saw him. They they only saw Festus as a pawn uh, for their gain. That's that's how they saw him. As soon as Festus gets there, like, hey, the new guy's here. Let's all get together and we'll go. Uh, you know, if we get a bunch of us together and we, you know, maybe we'll uh, be able to convince him. Uh, I'm I'm convinced that Festus himself maybe was um, leery the more people that came. You know, here's a guy that can't speak for himself, and everybody's here all nervous, trying to get their attention for, uh, first. And and uh, <clears throat> Festus catches on to it here, so they're actively trying trying to swindle the new guy here, and, and they want him to do them a favor. And uh, they, they, they immediately start painting Paul in a bad light, and uh, they're asking for a favor against him. Now, keep in mind, these are religious men. These are religious leaders. These are the ones that are supposed to be looked to to be fair, uh, to be obedient to God's word, to be leading uh, the, the, uh, the, well, the church, the, the people of Israel. Uh, these are the people that are supposed to be... Um, walking uh, with God with pure hearts. And, and here they are uh, showing that the best thing that they have to offer is that they honor God with their lips, but their heart is far from him. And because what did Jesus have to say constantly, right? We went through the book of John and uh, we consider John's gospel account. There was the, um, there was the, uh, uh, the constant uh rubbing against uh, that was happening between Jesus and the religious leaders. There was, it, it was, it was, they were always butting heads and Jesus was always uh, calling them out. <clears throat> and uh, at one point Jesus even uh, calls them. Uh, he, he, he tells them that they're just like their father, the devil. I mean, that's, that's bad. Like, like if, if, if you want to fight in words, those were fighting words. And Jesus was standing right up and calling them, you know, you're sons of the devil. Uh, because all they were filled with was murder, lies, and corruption. You know, they, uh, you know, we we uh, went through last week where Jesus, where uh, Paul was even calling people out, saying, "You're a whitewashed tomb. <laughs> Everything looks good on the outside, but inside is death and corruption." <clears throat> so these same guys, they're they're grabbing Festus here, and they're trying to get their uh, agenda forwarded here. So they're just trying to use. Festus. They don't come up and say, Festus, we want to learn who you are. You know, how do you how do you rule? What type of person are you? You know, how can we build a relationship? All that we see here is, hey, we're going to go. We're going to talk to this guy about our agenda. So we, we see here that the fruit of their lives is displayed here. Uh, you know, they're just murderous and full of lies and corruption. Titus chapter one, verses 15 and 16 say to the pure, all things are pure. But to those who are defiled and unbelieving, nothing is pure. But even their mind and conscience are defiled. They profess to know God, but in works they deny him, being abominable, disobedient, and disqualified for every good work. These guys fit right into that whole category. They profess to know God, but in works they deny him. That's, that's, that was the mode that these guys operated in. They would honor the, the traditions of man over the word of God. 
And we see them doing that here. They're just trying to get their agenda across, and they're they're not looking at, huh, you shall not murder. Oh, okay, huh, maybe we shouldn't do that. One of those, those big Ten Commandments, right? <clears throat> but they want their own will here. So they're asking him outright uh, to bring Paul to Jerusalem, and they have a side plan as they're asking him, literally, as it says here, to kill Paul. They're just trying to use him as a pawn to literally get him on the road and while he's on the road. Because remember, when we went through this before, when word got to the Roman commander that, hey, if, if you bring up Paul two years before this, if you bring up Paul, they're just waiting to kill you. They're just waiting to kill him. So they get together. They've got 200 horsemen. They've got 200 spearmen. And they're ready to go. And they, they deliver Paul to Felix. And, uh, and he's been hanging out there uh, for two years. Verse 4, But uh, Festus answered that Paul should be kept at Caesarea, and that he himself was going there shortly. Therefore he said, Let those who have authority among you go down with me and accuse this man to see if there, was any, if there is any fault in him. So you can see here why Festus was known as a fair and reasonable man. He's, he's telling them, no, there's, there's a order in which we need to uh, go about these things. And Festus says, no, if you want to, just bring some guys and we'll go down and you guys can present your case in front of Paul and, uh, and I'll hear you both out. So he, he was a good ruler. He, he uh, was fair. Um, you know, they no doubt would have been willing to pay him. You know, Festus at that point probably could have said, I know what these guys are doing. I'm going to take some money here and, and maybe we can start working out a little corrupt deal. And uh, Festus doesn't do that. So, no, you guys, I'm going to go back to Caesarea. You can deal with it there. Uh, you can come along if you want. Uh, but I'm going to hear the whole matter out. Now, Festus, we'll, we're going to see him here later in our study. We're going to see him burst out. Um, while Paul is giving his own defense later, uh, where he's uh, accusing Paul of learning too much that it drove him mad. But overall, he's, he's known to be a fair ruler. So uh, he heard them out and he told them how things were going to be. Um, it's pretty much the mindset. Have you ever heard somebody say, you know, the prisoners can't run the prison? Uh, I think Festus there was saying, you know, guys, I, I appreciate you coming to me, but things are going to be run the way I want to run them. Here, uh, you know, I, I understand you want a favor and you want these things to fall these ways, but uh, that's not how I, how I do things here. So he invited him to Caesarea, and and uh, then they can make their uh, their accusations. It's probably not what they wanted to hear, um, but uh, they might have been content with at least just getting the bug in his ear uh, at, at this point. So, <clears throat> you know, if if you consider if they were successful in killing Paul then that would put uh, Festus in a hard spot because a Roman citizen was killed uh, with under his, um, his watch. So uh, there's a lot there uh, that, uh, that Festus uh, was probably taking into account. Here, verse 6, And when he had remained among them uh, more than ten days, he went down to Caesarea, uh, to, uh, and the next day, sitting on the judgment seat, he commanded Paul to be brought. So we see this. So he hangs out, does what he needs to do for other business uh, in Jerusalem, and then he goes down to Caesarea. And uh, after uh, 10 days of being there, and after he returned he, uh, the next day, so he gets there, gets settled in, and gets right to work. You know, one thing we can see about him is he's not somebody who likes to let things sit. 
As soon as he you know, came in, boom, he's straight to Jerusalem. As soon as he gets back, next day, Paul's out. Let's let's keep, you know, here to do some work. Let's go. And um, and uh, after returning, he, he calls Paul to him, and, and uh, he's now ready to hear from Paul. He's heard a lot about Paul, a lot of bad things about Paul. I'm sure they weren't like, hey, we want, you know, we don't want to, you know, act like, uh, the, you know, the guy's totally bad. I'm sure they weren't giving him any defense at all. Uh, so all he's heard is enough that they thought that they would be able to win Festus over to get their, their will accomplished. <clears throat> Verse 7. When he had come, the Jews who had come down from Jerusalem stood about and laid many serious complaints against Paul, which they could not prove. While he answered for himself, neither against the law of the Jews, nor against the temple, nor against Caesar, have I offended in anything at all. But Festus, wanting to do the Jews a favor, answered Paul and said, Are you willing to go up to Jerusalem and, that, and there be judged before me concerning these things? So Paul said, I stand at Caesar's judgment seat where I ought to be judged. To the Jews I have done nothing wrong, as you very well know. For if I am an offender or have committed anything deserving of death, I do not object to dying. But if there is nothing in these things of which these men accuse me, no one can deliver me to them. I appeal to Caesar. Then Festus, when he had conferred with the council, answered, You have appealed to Caesar, to Caesar you shall go. So uh, we see here in verse 7, it says that when uh, Paul had been brought out, the Jews had come around, that had come down from Jerusalem. They stood about and they laid many serious complaints against Paul. This means, you know, one after another, after another coming. And they have nothing good to say about Paul. And uh, they've got serious complaints. These are, these are big things in their eyes. Um, you know, well, uh, we'll see Paul here answering for himself. But all the things that they brought up, they couldn't prove any of them. If you're going to bring an accusation, you need to be able to prove that accusation. You can't just make accusations and ask somebody at that point to make a judgment. There has to be proof, right? We see that in our own justice system, as flawed as it is, okay? <clears throat> but in our own justice system, we can't just go in and say, hey, you know, this person took $1,000 from me. The judge is going to look at, you know, any judge that, that has any... Um, you know, ability to, to rule and and uh, to judge well is going to say, okay, based on what? what? What evidence do I need to consider here? If someone just comes in on an accusation and a, and a judge would just declare them guilty based on an accusation, then they're not a good judge. They're not a fair ruler. <clears throat> so uh, Paul here is, is being surrounded by these guys. It reminded me of Psalm 3. We sing it here, right? Uh, you know, I will not be afraid of 10,000 people who set themselves against me round about. Uh, consider, uh, not that there were 10,000 people there, but that that feeling of, of man, imagine being in, in that scenario where he's just got everybody around him. But Paul could stand with a clean conscience. And that we studied that last week. He had clear conscience knowing that everything they were saying was wrong. And then he could declare it to Festus and say, everything they're saying they can't prove any of it, and they know it. They know I haven't done anything. You know I haven't done anything wrong. And uh, so Paul stands and, and uh, is defending himself. And it says here that, that Festus wanted to do the Jews a favor, and he asked Paul if he wanted to go to Jerusalem to be judged there. You know, Paul, as a Roman, had the right to say whether he wanted to do it or not. Paul exercised that right and said, no, nope, I'm appealing to Caesar. 
He wants to go all the way to the top. <clears throat> and, uh, uh, you know, it, it, I like here where he says uh, where I ought to be judged. You know, I think Paul had had it. Um, you know, he's, he's been sitting there and, and he had liberty. Uh, he was he was in uh, custody, uh, but he was he had liberty when uh, Felix had had uh, kept him uh, in uh, confinement. It was that uh, he was it was uh, clearly stated that he couldn't they they couldn't uh, stop people from coming and uh, bringing support for him and supplies or whatever. He had free reign uh, so he could be. Um, he could be provided for in those things. But, uh, you know, Paul knew that he didn't do anything uh, deserving of death, you know. So even in those two years there uh, where, where here he is trying to defend his own life, you know, Paul knew that whatever they had to say about him uh, wasn't uh, anything that they could convict him of, uh, <clears throat> excuse me, because they had no um, – they had no proof there. So he had a long time of just waiting for his day to be able to once again defend himself. And when he had the opportunity, uh, he, he appealed to Caesar. And, uh, you know, he <clears throat> got to the point where he had, had, had kind of had enough. Now, um, this wasn't Paul. Uh, now, remember, Paul said that he was not only willing to be chained, but also die for the name of Christ, right? Right. <clears throat> This isn't Paul trying to, I mean, if, if you consider, you know, Paul, Paul knew, uh, and, and was, he, it was when he said that he was willing to lay down his life, he meant that. Okay. And, uh, that, uh, for Paul to say, Hey, you know what? I don't want to play the games of the Jews, uh, because Paul knew, you know, uh, he had, he'd already been beaten almost half to death last time he was there. Right. You know, couldn't even walk anymore. And, uh, you know, the Romans had to deliver him. So he knew if they if they got him where they wanted, uh, then uh, you know they would try to have their way there. And Paul, as much as he could control the situation, said, "No, I appear to appeal to to, um, to Caesar here." He knew that if he went there, they would kill him. Um, I like this David Guzik quote, so I wanted to share it with you. David Guzik said he wasn't afraid to face the lions, but he didn't want to put his head in the lion's mouth if he could avoid it. You know, I was like. Yes, that makes sense to me, right? So I'll read it again. Uh, he wasn't afraid to face the lions, but he didn't want to put his head in the lion's mouth if he could avoid it. I think any of us would kind of be in that same boat. Like, hey, if I'm going to die, great, but I'm not going to go shove my head in the lion's mouth. You know, that, that mindset there. So Paul was steadfast, and he was um, in his uh, request to go to Caesar and uh, when he said he wanted to go to Caesar, uh, Festus said, you want to go to Caesar? To Caesar you shall go. Verse 13. And after <clears throat> some days, King Agrippa and Bernice came to Caesarea to greet Festus. So um, that uh, King Agrippa, the, Her <clears throat> the Herods, um, empowered by Rome to oversee Israel. Uh, some of these are going to sound familiar to you. Herod the Great tried to kill Jesus. Uh, Herod Antipas uh, was the one that uh, beheaded uh, John the Baptist. Uh, Herod Agrippa I uh, had James executed in Acts chapter 12. Herod Agrippa II, empowered by Emperor Claudius, and he was uh, to supervise over the temple in Jerusalem, and he ended up getting more territory also. But uh, um, we uh, history tells us that later on when uh, Israel was uh, rising up against Rome that um, Herod Agrippa II uh, took the side of Rome and was dispelled uh, by uh, Israel and, and uh, 
um, they didn't have any more use for him at that point. Now, Bernice is, a, is an interesting one uh, to look at also. Uh, she's also the daughter of Herod Agrippa I. So um, she had some weird marriages in her life, some weird relationships with her life. First married to her uncle, Herod Apollio. Uh, he died, and she moved in with her brother, Herod Agrippa II, and uh, had an incestuous relationship uh, with her brother. And uh, so quite a quite a weird thing to to consider uh, that uh, that's that this uh, brother and sister had that relationship. But they uh, based on what history tells us uh, is strongly believed that they did have this relationship. So we see these two uh, introduced to us here. Uh, King Agrippa, this is the second and uh, Bernice. They came to Caesarea to greet Festus. He's the new guy in town and. Uh, so they want to come by and, and establish a relationship with him. Verse 14, when they had been there many days, Festus laid Paul's case before the king, saying, there's a certain man left a prisoner by Felix, about whom the chief priests and the elders of the Jews informed me when I was in Jerusalem, asking for a judgment against him. To them I answered, it is not the custom of the Romans to deliver any man to destruction before the accused meets the accusers face to face and as uh, and has opportunity to answer for himself concerning the charge against him. Therefore, when they had come together without any delay the next day, I sat on the judgment seat and commanded the man to be brought in. When the accusers stood up, they brought no accusation against him of such things as I supposed, but had uh, some questions against him about their own religion and about a certain Jesus who died, whom Paul affirmed to be alive. And because I was uncertain of such questions, I asked whether he was willing to go to Jerusalem and there be judged according to these matters. But when Paul appealed to be reserved for the decision of Augustus, I commanded him to be kept till I could send him to Caesar. Then Agrippa said to Festus, I also would like to hear this, uh, the man myself. Tomorrow, he said, you shall hear him. So uh, here we see uh, Festus um, laid down everything in the case uh, against Paul uh, to Agrippa. And uh, we see him confessing here that there's no accusation against him of such things as I supposed. This might start sounding familiar to us, being that we just finished the Gospel of John and saw Jesus brought forth in mock trials or brought forth to, uh, to uh, leaders. And as Jesus was brought before the leaders, uh, they would say, I see no reason for this man to be put to death. Right. They, they would uh, make the the same declarations about Jesus. So uh, Festus says no accusation brought uh, against him as such as of such as I suppose, uh, just the things uh, that uh, uh, had to pertain to Jesus uh, who had died, whom Paul affirmed to be alive, he says. So he's, he's laying this whole case out in front of Agrippa. And, and we see in verse 20, I like this. This is kind of a little bit of a play on words here by Festus. He, he says, and because I was uncertain of such uh, questions, I asked whether he was willing to go to Jerusalem and there be judged uh, concerning these matters. Not really the full truth because verse 9 tells us that he was wanting to do the Jews a favor. 
So, um, you know, he's, he's kind of telling a little bit of a half-truth there, um, leaving out the fact that, hey, you know, me wanting to do the Jews a favor, I, th I thought it might work out well. Um, but uh, this all, uh, as he uh, spelled this all out to Agrippa, it got uh, Agrippa intrigued, and, and uh, Festus assured him that he would see Paul the very next day. Verse 23. So the next day, when Agrippa and Bernice had come with great pomp and had entered the auditorium with the commanders and the prominent men of the city at Festus's command, Paul was brought in. So, uh, you know, that pomp and, and circumstance uh, in this type of situation isn't uh, uncommon. We see this stuff happening in our world, you know, when uh, somebody who's a, uh, a, a distinguished guest comes maybe when you're at work or um you know my time uh, militarily as soon as anybody was coming um from uh you know a general eric and i served in the same unit and uh, anytime you've got a general coming or inspectors coming and you know everything is like you got people out there like measuring grass and you know almost to that point right they're getting to that point of ridiculousness right anytime a big boss is coming or whatever or somebody important's coming there's much pomp you know everybody they need to make a big deal. That person needs to feel um, welcomed and valued and and uh, kissed up to uh, in in some cases. And and no doubt, you know some uh, some you know I'm not saying we shouldn't honor somebody who's in a in a prestigious uh, spot, but it is what it is. I never really cared for it much um, in many circumstances. Um, I think it, it, it just anyways. So they, they went through that uh, type of situation in a great pomp and they had Paul brought out. And, and so everybody's all geared up and they're all in their best dress, I'm sure. And, and verse 24 uh, picks up saying, and Festus said, King Agrippa and all the men who are here present with us, you see this man about whom the whole assembly of the Jews petitioned me, both at Jerusalem and here, crying out that he uh, has not fit, uh, he was not fit to live any longer. But when I found that he had committed nothing deserving of death, and that he himself had appealed to Augustus, Augustus, I decided uh, to send him. I have uh, nothing certain to write to my Lord concerning him. Therefore, I have brought him out before you and especially before you, King Agrippa, so that after the examination has taken place, I may have something to write. For it seems to me unreasonable that uh, to send a prisoner and not to specify the charges against him. So Festus here, we see him publicly reiterating what he had already said privately because this is much more formal setting. And Festus here is asking for assistance, because he can't just send a prisoner to Caesar without properly explaining why. So he's when, where he's got um, Agrippa there, who is very in tune to um, Jewish culture, Jewish law, Jewish religion. And, uh, and he says, uh, you know, I, I need some help here, and I need to be able to properly explain why I'm sending him to Caesar. Again here, he's he's uh, saying here, look at verse 25, it says, but when I found that he had committing nothing deserving of death, there's another example 
somebody publicly saying they don't they uh, just like with Jesus when he was brought before leaders saying that there's I don't see anything wrong here there's uh, nothing deserving of death here we by by the mouth of other people it, it, just declaring this person I, I I don't see it here so I I need some help um, the similarities here by their own confessions they're saying that there's nothing deserving of death here verse tw- uh, chapter twenty six verse one. Then Agrippa said to Paul, you are permitted to speak for yourself. So Paul stretched out his hand and answered for himself. I think myself happy, King Agrippa, because today I shall answer for myself before you concerning all the things of which I am accused by the Jews, especially because you are uh, are expert in all customs and questions which have to do with the Jews. Therefore, I beg you to hear me patiently. So uh, Paul had uh, waited for this point and now has the opportunity. And uh, he is stating here that he's been accused by the Jews. Uh, Now, understand when Paul is saying that, uh, these are the corrupt men that were trying to to, uh, pull the wool over Festus's eyes and get Paul on his way there so that they could murder him, right? So when Paul is, is is talking about them, he's still being respectful. Paul, Paul, you know, no doubt, word probably got back to him at some point, but um, Paul knew that these guys had nothing but murder um, planned for him. They just wanted him dead. That was it. They wanted him to be dead. However that happened, whatever method they would have to use. But um, these, uh, these people here were uh, just about... Uh, the uh, the murder of Paul. So he finally gets the opportunity, and he says, "Hey, uh, you understand who I? You understand the culture? You understand all these things?" Even says that he was an expert in the customs and the questions which have to do with the Jews. So he says he asks him to hear him patiently. Now consider Paul; <clears throat> he's there and he's he's speaking boldly. Remember what Jesus said in Luke twelve verses eleven through uh, and twelve. He said, "Now when they bring you." To the synagogues and magistrates and authorities, do not worry about how or what you should answer or what you should say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you in that very hour what you ought to say. You know that that promise from the Lord that when you're standing in front of those uh, that that have the power to take you out, um, don't worry about it. Just go and speak. And that is, <clears throat> sorry guys. That is what Paul is doing here in front of um, King Agrippa and, uh, of course, with Festus right there. Verse 4, Paul continuing, My manner of life from my youth, which was spent from the beginning among my own nation at Jerusalem, all the Jews know. They knew me uh, from the first, if they were willing to testify, that According to the strictest sect of our religion, I lived a Pharisee. And now I stand and am judged for the hope of the promise made by God to our fathers. To this promise, our 12 tribes, earnestly serving God night and day, hope to attain. For this hope's sake, King Agrippa, I am accused by the Jews. Why should it be thought incredible? By you that God raises the dead. So Paul is is uh, making the case for himself here. 
And uh, Paul is saying, these guys know who I am. They knew what I was all about. You know, Paul was a, a Pharisee and a, and a son of a Pharisee. And, uh, you know, when, when you consider his, his religious lineage <laughs> and what we know from our study, even in Acts, how seriously uh, Paul took his, um, his position uh, as a Pharisee, which was a religious leader. No doubt some of these that were there were Pharisees also. And Paul is saying, you know, that uh, even uh, that he would he was uh, one that uh, in verse five, it says they knew me from the first. Uh, if they were willing to testify that according to the strictest sect of our religion, I lived a Pharisee. You know, if they want to accuse me of, of offending the law, then go right ahead. But I they, they know good and well that I, I lived uh, a Pharisee even uh, to the strictest sect of this religion. And he says, now I stand judged for the hope and the promise made by God to our fathers. And then he gets down and he's talking about the resurrection, the hope and the promise uh, made by, uh, by God to our fathers. He's saying, I'm being uh, tried because I believe the promises of God that are in his word. And uh, he's defending himself using God's word. And he's standing on the authority <clears> of, <throat> Of, of God's word as he's speaking. Verse 9, indeed, I myself thought I must do many things contrary to the name of Jesus of Nazareth. <clears throat> this I also did in Jerusalem, and many of the saints I shut up in prison, having received authority from the chief priests, and when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. And I punished them often in every synagogue and compelled them to blaspheme and being exceedingly enraged against them. I persecuted them even to foreign cities. So Paul's identifying himself as formerly just like these accusers that are standing there accusing him. Paul's saying, I'm so I'm so much like those guys and they know it so much like them. You know, he's saying, in fact, I was even worse than them. That by his own confession here that he'd shut up people in prison and, uh, you know, that he would be there and cast his vote against those that were uh, about to be put to death. You know, punish, punish them all. Look, look what he says here. This is quite a quite a, um, a confession here in verse 11. And I punished them often in every synagogue and compelled them to blaspheme. Just just you blaspheme the name of Christ. You want to talk about Christ? No, you're going to, you're going to blaspheme his name. You know, you think of, of the things that he's saying here, that he was so enraged against them that he wanted to go to foreign cities. Now he's about to give his third, his testimony for the third full time here as we progress in verse 12. While thus occupied, as I journeyed to Damascus with authority and commission from the chief priests, at midday, O king, along the road, I saw a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, shining around me and those who journeyed with me. And when we all had fallen to the ground, I heard a voice speaking to me and saying in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. So I said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, but rise and stand on your feet, for I have appeared to you for this purpose, to make you a minister and a witness both of the things which you have seen and the things which uh, you I will yet reveal to you. I will deliver you from the Jewish people as well 
as from the Gentiles to whom I now send you to open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who are sanctified by faith in me. So Paul gives his uh, his testimony of when he came to faith in Christ. <clears throat> Paul, uh, on the road, as he says, uh, was met by Jesus. And uh, he asked, you know, who, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are, uh, you know, why are you persecuting me? And uh, he says, it's hard for you to kick against the goads. If you're not familiar with what a goad is, Goad would be what you would use to get livestock moving. Pointed, you know, it's just it's poking them, you know, this thing, and, and they wouldn't like it, so they would kick against it, and they'd learn not to kick against it because they're going to get hurt more doing that, right? But kicking against a goad, what he's saying is, Paul, I'm already working in your heart, and you're kicking against me. You're fighting, you're fighting against me. It's hard for you to kick against the goads. And so Paul uh, heard from uh, Jesus that, uh, he said in verse 16, but rise and stand on your feet for I have appeared to you for this purpose to make you a minister and a witness, both of the things you have seen and of the things which I will yet reveal to you. I've got a plan for you, Paul. You know, you were out persecuting these people and you've got all these things. And uh, we know that when Ananias was sent to him, the Lord had to convince Ananias and, and he told him, no, you need to tell him uh, that I, he will suffer many things uh, for my name. And, uh, well, that's what he, he told Ananias. Go and tell uh, and encourage him because, you know, I've got things for him to do. And those things for him to do were to suffer, uh, to be a witness in front of these people. So he's going from persecutor and a hater and the one that's trying to track, <clears throat> trying to track them down and stop them to being one uh, that's being called to, to minister. Verse 18 says to open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God. That's what the gospel is all about. Somebody's living in darkness, called to light, called out of that darkness to the glorious light of, of Jesus Christ. That's a that's quite a quite a change in a day for a man, isn't it? <laughs> to be on the road, be, have have all the orders you need in hand to go do what you want to do. And yeah, Paul wasn't expecting that. He's just waiting, probably wringing his hands, waiting to get to Damascus. And on the road at noon, he's met with that bright light and his whole life changed. His life changed because of an encounter with Jesus Christ, that he came from that darkness into light. And anybody here that is standing uh, in Christ and walking with Christ has been there also. And it's our duty that as we become Christians to shine as lights in the world, right? That as we're shining, that people would see uh, the good works that are coming from us and that it would glorify our Father in heaven, right? We're called to carry that light, to shine as lights. Therefore, verse 19, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, but declared first to those in Damascus and in Jerusalem and throughout all the region of Judea, and then <laughs> to the Gentiles, that they should repent, turn to God, and do works befitting repentance. 
So Paul's explaining that he was obedient to Christ's command from Acts chapter 9, and he was now commissioned to preach the gospel to all who would hear, Jew and Gentile, he says, and that they uh, should repent and turn to God, you know, from pursuing and persecuting the gospel and trying to shut it down. Now he's called to be a minister to it. I love God. <laughs> I love the plans he has. You know, you think of how many times maybe we've said this. Maybe some of us here have said this. Oh, you wait. You wait till I stand before God. I got a few things to say to him. <laughs> I've always laughed at that, even internally. Then sometimes I'll externally, like, oh, you're going to tell God how it is. Okay. Pretty sure you're not going to be able to even open your mouth. <clears throat> God has other plans. God does what he wants to. Verse 21. <clears throat> For these reasons, the Jews seized me in the temple and tried to kill me. Therefore, Having obtained, I like this, having obtained help from God, uh, to this day I stand. That's a slap in the face for them, right? They thought they're doing God's work, and Paul's saying, no, I'm the one that got the help from God. Witnessing both to small and great, saying uh, no other things than those which the prophets and Moses said would come, that the Christ would suffer, and that he would be the first to rise from the dead and would proclaim light to the Jewish people and to the Gentiles. Now consider what Paul had been through. You know, Paul is saying here that the Jews seized him, and they, they did try to kill. They would have killed him if the Romans hadn't come in. God still had the plan, and he even gave. He doesn't say, if it weren't for the Romans, I'd be dead. He says that, uh, you know, having obtained help from God, to this day I stand. It was God used the Romans to deliver him from the murderous Jews as they're beating him to death. <clears throat> but who gets the credit for it? God. Paul was the same one that wrote Romans, uh, the book of Romans. And Romans 8.28 says, And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. And skipping down to 31, it says, What then shall we say? Uh, to these things. If God is for us, who can be against us? Consider, uh, you know, the one who wrote that believed it because he lived it. Paul could proclaim these things with authority uh, because he knew the authority he had from Jesus Christ and he knew from the circumstances that he went through in his life that all things, and Paul would look back and go, yeah, those guys beating the stuffing out of me there and when the Romans came and delivered me, God sent them to deliver me from them. It was a mighty work that God was doing to uh, sustain me and, and to keep me so that on that day they could that he could stand. Paul knew that very well. It wasn't Paul saying, yeah, I was a pretty good speaker and I was able to you know, put Felix back on his heels a little bit and he wasn't able to make a decision. So I've just been sitting here eating grapes and you know, people stop by and you know, visit me and I'm, I'm you know, in you know, Paul, what Paul was saying here is that God had sustained him <clears throat> as he's proclaiming the gospel as he should. 1 Peter 1, verses 10 through 12 says this, Of this salvation of the prophets, uh, sorry, of this salvation the prophets have inquired and searched carefully who prophesied of the grace that would come to you, searching what or what manner of time the Spirit of Christ who was in them was indicating when he testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. To them, it was revealed that not to themselves, but to us, they were ministering the things which now have been reported to you 
through those who have preached the gospel to you by the Holy Spirit, sent from heaven, things which angels desire to look into. You know, verse 23 in Acts tells us that the Christ should suffer. He should uh, be the first to rise from the dead. And if you look at what Peter just wrote here, in verse 11 it says, Searching what manner of time the Spirit of Christ who was in them was indicating when he testified beforehand the sufferings of Christ and the glories that would follow. What that's telling us, guys, is that the prophets, as they're writing these things, didn't fully understand everything. They were searching them out themselves. And we get the benefit of looking back and understanding that God was using them. Right? You consider something like Isaiah 53 or Psalm 22, those, those, uh, those uh, things that were written. Did I say Isaiah, Psalm, Psalm 22, Isaiah 53, if I said them differently, if I said them right? Okay. <clears throat> consider those. Just so uh, so violent, you know, to, to think of what was going to happen to the Messiah. They had no, like, everybody, uh, the, the Jewish people didn't understand anything of what that, had, what that meant. But the prophets, like when David was writing that, he understood there's prophecy here. You know, he's, what it's saying here is that when these people were writing, they didn't even understand. Isaiah writing it, they were looking into it knowing that it didn't even pertain to them but that it pertained to someone who was coming after them. You know, and Paul is saying here, you know, in, in his defense that, look, I, I, you know, these guys wanted to kill me, but God sustained me to this day. Uh, you know, I stand witnessing both the small and great saying no other things than those which the prophets and Moses said would come. He's saying these guys said these things. They didn't fully understand them. And they spent their time digging and they wanted to have a deeper understanding. Say, what does this mean? What does this message mean? And we see here, when you combine this with 1 Peter, uh, 1 Peter uh, 1, you know, those, those things that are being said here that were said by the prophets and, and Moses, Paul's saying, all I'm doing is putting the, where, where these things have been put together. You know, there's the prophecy and then there's a the fulfillment of that prophecy. And I believe it. And here I am, I'm standing on trial for believing these things. And it goes, and he even says here in verse 23 that the Christ would suffer and then he would rise, uh, he would be the first to rise from the dead and would proclaim light to the Jewish people and to the Gentiles. And we know, really, that was the biggest problem the Jews had right there that he's proclaiming uh, the name of Jesus Christ and that he's preaching to Gentiles. That was just fuel for the fire for them. Because they just considered the Gentiles were never going to be saved. But it's all through the Old Testament that Gentiles were going to call out to God. You know, they were rejecting their own, their own scriptures. Very sad. You know, you know, you consider Israel today. This moment is at war. Israel's at war. The uh, terrorists, Hamas have been uh, two nights ago started bombing them. I, I saw a report of 5,700 um, bombs, explosive. I'll call them explosives because I don't know missiles, bombs, whatever. They are different. Um, but killing hundreds of civilians. And the, Hamas has declared war on Israel, and Israel is, is fighting back. <clears throat> we need to pray for Israel. God's not done with Israel. There, if you look at this world, there's a massive hatred for the Jewish people. 
massive hatred for the Jew. God is not done. We even know that. The scriptures tell us they're going to be grafted back in, right? Right now it's the time of the Gentiles, and God, just as God grafted us in, he will graft them back in. And everything God's still they're working on uh, in I mean unfortunately they're not experiencing the blessings of God that, like, that they could right now but God is not done with Israel the church has not replaced Israel you know with this replacement theology is crap sorry for the word but it is it's junk okay I'll say it that way it's junk okay <clears throat> we have not replaced Israel we need to pray for Israel we need to stand uh, in support of Israel pray for them that they would win uh, this war. I mean, this isn't this isn't their like daily battle that they kind of you know uh, just oh we're going to chuck this over just just because you know uh, this is all out war. They have said that we're at war, so we need to pray for Israel. You know, and and, and when you consider. Matthew 24, when Jesus was talking about that, he said that there would be wars and rumors of wars, guys. Yes, in, in human history, there have been wars and rumors of wars, but look at what else is coming. Earthquakes. I mean, just consider all these other things that are coming. There's this, this great hatred for God, and there's this great departure from church, and that everybody is just jumping into social justice or whatever else, and they're losing the, the, um, the uh, fervor for God, and they're, they're, they're redirecting uh, all of their affection toward whatever else is going on. And and leaving Jesus Christ, you now guys, this is the time to buckle down, right? We need to be praying for Israel. We'll pray for as a church for Israel when we're ending today here. But understand, these are religious leaders that had turned from God. Uh, this uh, I don't want to uh, I don't want us to to get a a, a view um, that that uh, God hates the Jews. He very much does not hate the Jews, and he's still very much has a plan for the Jewish people. No matter what this the weird people in this world will tell you. Uh, verse twenty four. Now as he thus made his defense, Festus said with a loud voice, "Paul, you are beside yourself. Much learning is driving you mad." Paul, you've lost your mind. You know, here's Festus, who's known to be a fair ruler, right? Well, he's, he's willing to speak up a little bit if he's, you know, fired up about something. <clears throat> you can look, you can kind of color in a little bit. You know, Paul, you've lost touch with the reality. Paul, did you join a cult? You know, think of it, right? How many times have you ever been sharing your faith and somebody's like, dude, what is wrong with you? Like, come on, we're going to go party. We're going to go rip apart the town. Now you don't want to do that anymore? You joined a cult, didn't you? No, my life has changed. I no longer want to destroy things. I want to be part of building things. Well, you're in a cult then, right? It's crazy. <clears throat> Paul is being uh, accused of losing, having lost his mind. Much learning has made you mad. No, it's actually building. I love Paul's response. Oh, this is awesome. But he said, I am not mad, most noble Festus, but speak the words of truth and reason. <laughs> There's your answer right there. For the king, before whom I also speak freely, knows these things. For I am convinced that none of these things escapes his attention since this thing uh, was not done in a corner. You know, everybody knows this stuff. This isn't like secret stuff is what he's saying there. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you believe, that you do believe. Then Agrippa said to Paul, you almost persuade me to become a Christian. 
And Paul said, I, this, this is awesome. I, imagine the intent. Like, don't just read these as black and white words uh, or black letters on the white. You know what I mean. In black and white, just look into the intensity. Paul says this. You know, I would to God not only uh, that not only you, but also all who hear me today might become both almost and altogether such as I am, except these chains. He's saying, if I had my anything, if, if I could have one wish today, it would be that you and everybody here has a relationship with Jesus Christ. That's what he's saying. That's literally what he's saying. Without the chains. He's like, you know, I could deal without the chains, you know. <clears throat> but he was content. Paul, Paul even said that. Paul's like, no, I'm ready to be in the chains, die for Christ, whatever. But he wants them all. You know, the sincerity in, in Paul's voice. You know, Paul's response to Agrippa saying that he had almost persuaded him to be a Christian. That means that that was almost the day that he inherited eternal, eternal life is essentially what he's saying there. You know, Paul's heart was on full display uh, with this response. And he says, not only you, but all who hear me today. I'm going to share with you one more verse, uh, one more uh, other scripture, and then we'll finish the chapter out. Romans chapter 9, verses 1 through 5. Paul this, this Paul writing, he says, I tell you the truth in Christ. I am not lying. My conscience also bearing witness in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and continual grief in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were accursed from Christ for my brethren, for my countrymen, according to the flesh, who are Israelites, to whom pertain the adoption, the glory, the covenants, the giving of the law, the service of God and the promises of whom are the fathers and from whom, according to the flesh, Christ came, who is over all, the eternally blessed God. Amen. He's saying, if I could be a curse from Christ that everybody else would be saved, I'd take that deal. I wouldn't. <laughs> I can tell you right now. I wouldn't. I, and, and, and that Paul's a better man than I am. I'll just confess that. I wouldn't want to be a curse from Christ. This is the most precious thing to me is my relationship with Christ knowing that someday I'll be with him in eternity just because he loved me, not because I'm good, not because I've done enough good to outweigh the bad, but because he's paid the penalty for my sin and I stand righteous because of his righteousness. I don't want to give that up. But Paul's saying I love him as, uh, so much that I would trade my, I would be a curse from Christ that everybody else could be saved. That's the love of Christ, guys. He has the love of Christ in him. Because Christ became a curse for us that we might be reconciled to the Father. You see how that's working? He's gone from a man that hated God, uh, hated uh, Jesus Christ, and was trying to keep people from Christ. Now he's saying, I would be separated from Christ. if these, That's only the love of God residing in his heart that could do that. Verse 30. When he had said these things, the king stood up, as well as the governor and Bernice, and those who were with him, uh, who sat with them. And when they had gone aside and talked among themselves, saying, they talked among themselves, saying, this man is doing nothing deserving of death or change. Yet another declaration of Paul's innocence, even in private against the, uh, amongst these rulers, right? Verse 32, then Agrippa said to Festus. So this, this is, remember Festus said, I want to present all this to you and I want your, I want your feedback on this. Okay. Here's the feedback, right? This was, this was how this all, this all built up to this moment right here. 
Then Agrippa said to Festus, this man might have been set free if he had not appealed to Caesar. So Festus asked for Agrippa's opinion on the matter, and here it is. He's, he's innocent, and I would have released him right here, but he appealed to Caesar, so I can't. You know, you consider, this is a powerful thing. We just read two chapters of the Bible together. If you've never read two chapters, now you have. <clears throat> There's a lot in there. There's a lot for us. All things work for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. That, 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 that verse, Romans 8.28, can be so misunderstood and, misabused, and abused. All things work for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Paul is that example. He hated God, and then he came to understand the love of God, and then he had the love of God in his heart, and it transformed him so much that he even wrote to the Romans saying, I would give up everything for these guys to be saved. That's an amazing gospel. <clears throat> Our God loves us. You know, this, this world will try to convince us that he doesn't. People around us at work, family members might tell us, you're mad, you've learned too much. Paul, you've learned too much. Whatever names are in there, Justin, your name comes into mind. You've learned too much. You're in a cult. I don't know. This seems pretty basic to me, right? We didn't sacrifice anything today but our own will, right? Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful for how faithful you are to us. Lord, to show us this amazing example of love that changed the heart of Paul and was able to be declared to these rulers. Knowing that Paul later would share that love in his letter to the Romans. God, you love us so much. You stand with us. You're with us through whatever it is, Lord, that as we're walking with you that we face. Help us not to get to a point where we question that but that we stand, and that's how we stand, understanding, Lord, that as Paul said, that you were the one that delivered him and kept him to that day. Lord, we pray for Israel right now, that you would protect them and give them victory. Help them to know that Christians around the world are praying with them and stand with them. We pray that you would be their protector that there would be no boast in their military abilities. Lord, we saw the great victories that Israel had, but we also saw when they would uh, be defeated, it was because they didn't rely upon you to be their strength. We pray, Lord, that they would return to you and they would seek you. Oh God, be their protection, be their victory. Be our victory in this life as we fight our battles, whatever we have going on. We love you and we thank you that we can trust you. In Jesus' name, amen.